This morning's sermon is based on Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 23. So we will read that together. It is directly following what we, what we heard last week, last week's Sunday morning. So Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. And you can pay, find that on page 863 of your pew Bibles. And here we read, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, some people before entering a relationship, have a mental checklist in their head. Or, or maybe even perhaps they have it on paper as well. If they find someone who ticks all the boxes, all the right qualities and, and expectations that they have in mind, he or she is the one. There is no guarantee that the one will maintain any of these qualities, but they wait and trust that it will work out. Our passage this morning presents us with a a historical scenario that is similar. John the Baptist seeks out the Christ, the coming one, and he has a checklist for his expectations of Christ's ministry. The difference is Christ is not only able to guarantee and show that he is the one who is to come, But also, whoever remains in a relationship with him will receive his blessing. I preach to you this morning this wonderful gospel message under this theme and points. Our theme this morning will be, The Christ has come, there is blessing in no other. And our points will be, Point one, waiting for the Christ. Point two, seeing the Christ. And point three, trusting in the Christ. Point one, waiting for the Christ. Christ's spirit-led ministry has reached the ears of John the Baptist. John is not able to witness or hear the Lord for himself. He is in prison many kilometers away. So John's disciples are filling him in on all the things that our Lord is doing. And he is quite active. He is healing the centurion's servant, 
He is raising the mother's son. He is preaching the good news in synagogues, teaching, and the list goes on. The disciples tell John about these events. Upon hearing the reports, John calls two of his disciples to himself. And then he sends them to ask Jesus this question. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we, we being the Jewish people, look for another? What a question to ask. Are you the coming one? But it's a necessary one, a necessary question. And it reveals what's on the hearts of the people. They are eagerly waiting for the coming Messiah. As we read from Luke 3, we noticed that the people were wondering if John, John himself, might be the Christ. And John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. One who is mightier is coming. One with power and authority. At the moment, they, the the Jewish people, are under Roman occupation. It is the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate is is the governor of Judea. And Herod is the Tetrarch of Galilee. Many Jews are anticipating the Messiah to be a king who can restore the kingdom to Israel. Acts 1 verse 6. John has also expressed expressed expectations of the Christ. John, the last great prophet of the Old Testament, anticipated Christ to bring the wheat into his barn along with judgment. Luke 3, verse 17. From his prison cell, John is hearing wonderful reports about Jesus' patience and gentleness and of his compassion upon those who are suffering, Jews or Gentiles. Yet, he is not hearing about the burning of the chaff with unquenchable fire. So we can imagine John's eager longing to see the fullness of the kingdom. John has been faithfully serving the kingdom with his own ministry. He is in prison because of his faithfulness. Evidently, it it has not been an easy ministry for John. He has hope, though. He knows that the one mightier than himself has come. He knew Jesus to be the Christ, the coming one. He heard the voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And he saw the spirit in the form of a dove descend upon Jesus. And he professed Jesus to be the son of God. John 1 verse 34. Christ's arrival ought to bring the signs of the kingdom, salvation, and judgment. Since the reports only revealed part of what he had anticipated, John is prompted to ask the question, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? 
We are not told what John's motive is for asking the question, nor are we given an indication of what, he is, what he's feeling inside. Is he disappointed? Is he frustrated? Or is he growing impatient? We don't know. But we do know this. He is waiting. He is longing for the work of the Christ to reach completeness. David, the king of Israel, also had to wait on the Lord often. When he was anointed by Samuel to be king, he had to wait before his kingship would be realized. He had to wait on the Lord's timing. Psalm 62 shows how David, although in difficult and vulnerable circumstances, waits on the Lord alone. He is quick to seek out the Lord during his moments of trouble. John the Baptist also seeks out the Lord during his, this difficult moment in his life. While in prison, waiting in eager expectation for Christ to accomplish his work, he sends his disciples to, to Jesus. He seeks out Jesus with what is troubling his heart. As sinful creatures, waiting on the Lord is not easy. Some things, though, like when Christ will return, are beyond our knowledge and control. So waiting is necessary. For this reason, we, like John the Baptist and David, ought to turn to the Lord. Is this something that we do in our lives? Do we seek out the Lord with what's on our hearts? John was living during Christ's first coming in the flesh. We are currently living with anticipation for his second coming. John was in prison. We have challenges and hardships as well. Sin, of course, always presents struggles. It causes much instability in our lives. It affects everything. Some examples are our health. Our, relations, our relationships with each other, our relationship with God. We can grow tired of the instability, and we, and we can cry out to God, How long, O Lord? As we wonder when we, He will return. Turn to the Lord for answers, beloved. Let's humble ourselves while we wait in anticipation of His return. During our time of waiting, let's turn to the Lord. He hears our pleas. Like much of the inspired Psalms demonstrate, let us pour out our hearts before Him, acknowledging Him as the only one who can hear us in our time of need. He is our mediator, our advocate, our shelter. There is no other. And when we seek out the Lord for answers, we do so in prayer and in his word. We pray for wisdom and enlightenment, understanding. We submit ourselves to his written words and listen. His spirit then actively assures us that we can trust in him. And we will notice this in our second point, 
seeing the Christ. As he sits in prison, John the Baptist asks our Lord, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Asking the question that is in the hearts of all the people. Everyone may be wondering whether he is the one, but here it is, asked out loud. Anyone could have asked the question at any point in time, but not just anyone did. And it did not happen at any given point in time. John did, and he is in prison. This is significant. God, in his perfect and divine plan, has purposely placed John in prison. God has prompted John to ask the question that would give Jesus the opportunity to confirm his ministry and purpose. To confirm that he is the one who is to come. That he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. John's question comes at a crucial point in redemptive history. The last prophet of the Old Testament is imprisoned and his active ministry has come to an end. At the same time, the Christ has come in order to begin his active ministry. The eternal ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is manifested on earth. With his arrival comes the kingdom of God on earth and a significant transition mark between the old covenant and the new. Those who are baptized by John are thrilled, declaring God just. However, the Pharisees and the lawyers, those who wanted to keep the boundaries of the old covenant, rejected this notion because they had not been baptized by John. Luke 7, verse 29 and 30 mention this. This is a time when clearer lines will be drawn be between who is in the kingdom of God and who is not. Who God will bestow his grace upon and who, and who he will bless and who he will not. So John's disciples come to Jesus and they repeat this question word for word. They are trustworthy men. And after hearing the question, Jesus goes and heals many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, as well as bestowing sight upon the blind, or to the blind. Jesus confirms himself as the Messiah through his acts of grace, his transformational power. He knows that John is aware of the prophecies of the Messiah found in the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So he gives the man a taste of his messianic activities on earth. They are now eyewitnesses to his miraculous ministry. They see him for who he truly is. The one who is to come, has come, and he comes with might, power, and authority. His wonderful acts of grace confirm that he has the ability to reverse the effects of sin. Later in verse 22, our Lord proclaims that he also raises people from the dead and the poor have good news preached to them. 
This proclamation reveals his victory over death and the means of grace by which he provides eternal life. Our Lord does not leave John in suspense. No, by his word and deeds, he assures him that he is indeed the one who is to come. And this is most gracious of him. Our Lord hears his people and in demonstration clarifies what was once blurry or vague. By doing so, he is revealing himself to be a merciful and compassionate Lord. The same God who heard the grumbles of the people of Israel in the wilderness and provided them with manna from heaven because they were his people and he is their God. We are also God's covenant people. In John's life, Christ is in the flesh, active on earth, and able to confirm his grace through physical manifestations, healings, and the like. Now, Christ is no longer physically present on earth. He is currently sitting at the right hand of God the Father, where he's exalted and glorified. From there, he actively ministers here on earth through his word and spirit. Christ graciously confirms to us that he is the one from whom all blessings flow, that he is the one who is and who was and who is to come. He does this primarily through the transforming power of his spirit. He changes our hearts and he gives us eyes that are able to see. He makes us willing to trust in his revelation, his living word, the very words of confirmation that we are reading today. This is a tremendous gift of grace. Instead of leaving us and John in our uncertainty, he assures us of his lordship, his eternal anointing. He answers our prayers. At times throughout our lives, we may also experience God's grace by witnessing modern-day miracles, by witnessing God's providential care and protection. Those moments where the saints pray fervently for God to save the life of someone on life support, and since it is His will, it comes to pass. Or someone is involved in a terrible accident and the vehicle is completely mangled, Yet the ones inside manage to walk away with little to no, no lasting injuries. When we witness or hear of such occurrences among God's people, the Spirit confirms to us that our Lord preserved the lives of those involved, and we praise Him for His goodness. Through His ministry, our Lord Jesus opens our eyes so that we can truly see Him. He does so through this, his remarkable, remarkable acts of wonder and grace. And with our eyes wide open, we are able to trust in him and receive his blessing. And we'll see this in our third point, trusting in the Christ. Our Lord performs miraculous deeds before the men, 
so they could witness his messianic ministry. And now he answers them by saying, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Sometimes we like to quote the mantra, actions speak louder than words. When it comes to our Lord, this mantra does not hold up. His proclamation contains no less authority or power than his deeds. Once again, our Lord is pointing to his messianic service among the people, proclaiming that he is the one who is to come. A number of these miraculous deeds mentioned can be found in the preceding chapters. His words greatly echo what he declared at Nazareth in chapter 4, which we, led, which we read earlier. There he mentioned that Isaiah's words, those prophesied concerning the coming Messiah, are fulfilled by him. Notice, beloved, that Jesus' ministry has not changed. John's question has not altered his active ministry in any way. Our Lord proclaims that this is his ministry that he is actively carrying out while here on earth. In this way, our Lord is saying to John and us, Trust me, I know what needs to be done, and I will accomplish it. If we think back to the checklist with all the boxes, Christ not only meets all the criteria on John's list, but he is the one who also created the list. It's a good reminder to us that we, that we need to trust God's work on its own merits and not on our, our expectations. And among Christ's list, there's a, a glaring omission, something that is present in the second verse of Isaiah, chapter 61, and is, and is not here. That is the, pro, the proclaiming of the day of vengeance of our God. John the Baptist is sitting in prison, he is hearing the reports about Jesus and his ministry, and he realizes that this is missing. He knew the prophecy, and he wondered why Jesus, the Christ, would omit this part. The Lord does not explicitly provide us here with an explanation for the omission. But, he does, but it does not mean that Christ has forgotten this element. How could he? It is he, that, it is he that prophecy was about. He, as the Messiah, is living the prophecy in the present. In the final verse of our passage, Jesus says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Or, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. This implies that those who do fall away on account of Christ are not blessed, but are cursed. Those who are cursed 
remain under God's wrath, under God's judgment. So our Lord's words of encouragement subtly come with warning. Either we trust in our Lord with all our hearts and not fall away from him, or we lack trust or have a difficult time trusting and struggle during various trials in life where we may fall away from him. Even if it is only temporarily. Peter, for example, told the Lord that he would follow him to prison and even to death. Yet, when the time came and he was confronted, he denied our Lord three times. It is not easy to follow the Lord. Yet he calls us not to be offended on account of him. We must trust that his will is good for our lives and will be to our benefit. Whether it brings times of blessing or times of trials and struggle. And who knows our earthly struggles and trials more beloved than our Lord and Savior. He also needed to trust that his Father's will was perfect and just. His ministry and service on earth put him through unimaginable sufferings and trials, which culminated in him being crucified on the cross, which sealed the victory over sin. Then three days later, he arose from the dead, granting the hope of eternal life for all who would believe in him. He lived in perfect trust and obedience to the Father. Our Lord knows our weaknesses. He knows that we grumble and groan, and he realizes we need his spirit to overcome what the flesh is not able to do on its own. That is, trust in him. Trust in his work of salvation. After our Lord taught his disciples that he is the bread of life, and we read this in John chapter 6, and that whoever feeds on him would receive eternal life, the disciples had a difficult time accepting the saying from Jesus. And he asked them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Beloved, if we have a difficult time accepting one portion of our Lord's work, we will also stumble over other parts of his work as well. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is encouraging to the believer, but discouraging to the non-believer. Our Lord's life on earth was a life focused on prayer. Our life on earth needs to be one focused on prayer. In our prayer, we earnestly ask our Lord to provide his spirit and abide in us. Through his help and the faith he provides, we will not be offended by our Lord, and we will receive his blessing. Recall our display text this morning from Jeremiah. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And so we trust in him, 
As believers, we wait on the Lord. We are waiting with eager longing for his second coming, his return, when he will come with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. He revealed to us this morning that he is the coming one and that he brings his work to completion in his time. He proclaimed this to us by the preaching of his word and he helps us see this by the transforming work upon our hearts through his spirit. Since this is the case, his blessing upon our lives is secured through him alone. To him be the glory and honor forever. Amen. Let's sing in response to the preaching of the word with the words from Psalm 125. In this psalm, we will praise the Lord for the security he, we have in trusting in him and the peace that comes with that security.